2: I'm in love with Welcome back to Open the VoiceGate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 48, covering Way of the Road in 2014 from the Brooklyn Lyceum on February 23rd, 2014. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed on our or on our own dedicated RSS feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing page. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up at one time a recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous donors for their support. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside my friend and co-host, Case Lowen. And Case, the number is three now, and this is the last time we will have to deal with the Cursed Brooklyn Lyceum on this series. How do you feel about that?
0: It's insane to me. I've started doing work on our Aftermath episode of what would come after Dragon USA, which is crazy, because I remember thinking about setting up that document a year ago, and, you know, I think I, I may have said this last week, but kind of when we started this project, assuming that we would be out of COVID by the time we finished this, not exactly the case, although things are getting better, and I like seeing numbers go down, let's hope they stay that way, but It's wild. This is our last show on the East Coast. We've got the two more in New Orleans after this. It's the final Drangate USA show with Drangate talent on the show. And we are recording this to peel back the curtain a little bit, Mike, to our listeners. Seven years after the fact, February 23rd, 2014, Way of the Ronin takes place. February 23rd, 2021, Mike Spears and I sit down late at night and record a podcast about this show. You know, it's a nice bit
2: of synchronicity. I I, I appreciate it. I did not realize this until you brought it up in our pre-pro, and it blew my mind for a second.
0: What what were you doing February of 2014? What is the life of Mike Spears' life? I know we have a ton to get into, but I'm curious. What was your life like at this point? So
2: I was was entering my final uh, 18 months in Miami. Did I do anything for the show? Like, at this point, like, I hated the Brooklyn Life scene so much. I did not watch the show when it came out. I was, at that time, I was training people at the archive I worked at. I was out of film school. I was, at the time, we got this. So this is peeling back the Spears curtain a little bit more than usual. We we were in the middle of this massive digitization that was happening because the archive I worked at case was the official repository for all of South Florida's TV stations. So we have all the footage dating back to the first TV stations in Florida, but we were digitizing it because uh, film and tape are fickle media. And we got this crazy robot. We got this tape robot, which, this, which probably sounds just like ridiculous, but it was a big deal where you would load up 15 tapes on each side. And inside the robot, we had four different computers and four different tape decks that would digitize it. And I was at that point concerned about, like, getting all these tapes cleaned for the service, getting everything getting going. And the fact that we bought this tape robot used from the UN because it was used in the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Committee for the Rwandan Genocide.
0: Okay, Mike, that's cool as shit. I'm glad I asked (laughs) this question. I don't know what I was expecting. I thought when you said you were going to peel back the curtain more than normal that maybe you were going to talk about a girlfriend or get horny for a second. I'm glad you talked about the tape robot. That is awesome. I'm glad I know that now.
2: No, I did not get horny. Instead, I talked about <laughs> tapes that a robot that was previously used to digitize a bunch of uh, uh, testimonies about a genocide. I, I, I am never horny publicly. People don't need another uh, dude out there horny.
0: That's badass. That's, I, you know, at this point, it's 2014. I don't know. I hate my life at this point. Like, I'm not a happy 15-year-old, whatever. I think that's my freshman or sophomore year of college, which means it's bad. Things don't really get good until my junior year. And at this point, 2014, my life pretty much exclusively is revolving around the world of independent professional wrestling. I remember watching this show live. I remember watching... And pre-ordering the PWG shows we're about to talk about. I At this point, I'm watching every Ring of Honor television taping. I'm watching every Ring of Honor live event DVD. I'm ordering Ring of Honor DVDs at a frantic pace because I was an umpire at this point in my life. And I made a gross amount of money, like drug dealer quality money, umpiring little kids baseball games. And at 15, I didn't have the wherewithal to save for college. And I didn't, like I wasn't going out. I didn't have like close friends where I would just like hang out with them. Also because I lived in the country and transportation was hard before I had a car. So my money would just go to Sinclair Broadcasting Corporation, which I have mixed opinions on. I kind of regret it in hindsight, but just Ring of Honor DVDs almost every week either of the compilations or the live events they would do. And I am just fully tuned into. to what Gabe Sapolsky's doing? What Ring of Honor's doing? What PWG's doing? Hey, Chikara's coming back. Let's follow this promotion. That I quickly jumped off that, but still, <laughs> uh, that is my world at the time. And
2: you know, like you had like the perfect time in high school. Now, in retrospect, to like because this really was like the true start of the indie boom was happening at this time. So, Ring of Honor wasn't the mid major that it is now. And of course, Chikara coming back, PWG there's just was a lot of interesting things happening in the world of wrestling. And you've picked some interesting shows that we're going to go over before we get into this way of the Ronin show.
0: Yes. So we are going to start in Japan. We're going to do our dragon gate recap next week. Open the ultimate gate. We will be back talking about dragon gate because there's a ton of stuff that happens in Japan and in the States that really affect the first show in new Orleans. So we're going to do back to back weeks of dragon gate content. Last time we talked about what was going on in Japan. Monster Express had formed, the Millennials had landed, Yamato had won the Open the Dream Gate title from Shingo Takagi and then Masato Yoshino won it from him. And so we begin with Final Gate 2013. A show that featured Rocky Lobo, Yuti, and Yosuke Santa Maria beating Kagatora Kanda in Ryotsu Shimizu, Don Fuji winning a three-way battle over Stalker Ishikawa, and Baten Tamagawa. Mike, what can you tell the listeners about Baten Tamagawa?
2: So Baton Tamagawa is someone that has an interesting link because he is from Kyushu Pro. He was someone that has had a lot of various comedy gimmicks and variations of baton Tamanagawa, but right now he's known as baton blah blah which is a great name by the way but mainly a fukuoka guy so i mean you bring someone in who's local there of course fukuoka is in kyushu so you know it just was like a smart thing and it was just on fuji just being the crap out of people and getting the one
0: from there we go to gamma Kness, and super shisa defeating cyber Kong, kz and Mondai ryu and open the brave gate title match where horiguchi defended the belt against shiba and then we went to our big three matches, Triangle Gate three-way nine-man elimination match with the Jimmys winning the belts over the Millennials who came in as the champions, Ata, Flamita, and T-Hawk, and the veterans of Shima, Dragon Kid, and Masaki Motuzuki opened the Twin Gate match with Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi winning the belts over Naruki Doi and Yamato. And then your main event, Masao Yoshino defending the Dream Gate belt against BB Hulk. So this was the
2: the launch of at the time one of the better Twin Gate runs. Like this was Doiama before they were really Doiama in a lot of ways. But uh, Shingo and Akira Tazawa was a great Twin Gate team, and this was like the kickoff to it, and it was the blowaway match of the night.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite tandems that has ever been in Dragon Gate. I missed that team greatly. More on them a little bit later on. But we start two thousand fourteen in Kork and Hall, January 16th, 2014. If that date sounds familiar, there is a good reason why, as we have a relatively uneventful Kork and Hall show with Horiguchi, Kagator, and Kanda defeating Fuji, Gamma, uh, and Stalkerichikawa. Dragon Kid goes over on Yosuke, Santa Maria. We see Kness, Arai, and Shisa defeat Hulk, Kaze, and Mandai Ryu. A two-count, three-rope-escapes rules match with Chihiro, Tamanaga, and Shima defeating Kotoka and Ryotsu Shimizu, Tozawa and Shingo defeating T-Hawk and a a semi-main event of Susumu, Tanazaki, and Saito, defeating Cyberkong, Naruki Doi, and Yamato. But the reason this date might sound familiar is, like that main event, opened the Dreamgate title match, Masaru Yoshino defends and defeats Masaki Mochizuki in his 20th anniversary of professional wrestling. And this is
2: one of the best matches in Dragon Gate history. It is perhaps secondarily to Mochizuki versus Shingo Takagi from Gate Destiny 2015 as the second best uh, Open the Dream Gate match of all time. Like, I think I like this one personally a little bit more. It just was one of those nights that everything turned on. Yoshino as champion, uh, Misaki Mochizuki, who before this was like, I don't know if I'm going to get another big shot like this, but it's my 20th anniversary. I have this title shot and I'm going to go out there and give it all I have. And they went out there and had 27 minutes, 13 seconds of one of the best matches you will ever see.
0: Yeah, this is an all timer. And unfortunately it's not on the Dragon Gate network. It's a little bit hard to track down, but it's one of those matches. If you can get it in your hands, I mean, look on the Russian YouTube, look on the Chinese YouTube, look on the dark web. If you have not seen this match, it is 1000% essential viewing one of the best Dream Gate matches of all time, which is funny considering that up to that point, it's really a nothing Cork and Hall show.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember liking that. Now that I'm looking at this card, I remember liking that uh, tag match with Hulk and Shingo. Oh, not Hulk and Shingo. Akira and Shingo versus uh, UT and T Hawk. But like, it just kind of was there. And you know, I mean, it felt like an event. It was the first 20th anniversary for anyone in the Dragon System, that main event. Like, this was a one match show, but I mean, looking back at like the five-star matches i don't have very many five-star matches in dragon gate but this is like a match that i remember so distinctly also because alan 4 for a long time <laughs> yeah. had this because had this awesome like photo effect because the everyone came out to their big to their big match themes and the piano intro to, C- to Speed Star was playing and the lights were dimmed and there was this crossfade of of uh, Masaki Mochizuki looking off into the distance, ready to go for war. Just one of those images that, even thinking about it right now, gives me goosebumps.
0: Yeah, it was a signature on the F4W forum, and at this point, it is a weird thing to think about. But Alan talking about that match is one of my early memories of Alan. Of oh wow, this guy loves wrestling on a level that I'm not used to. And as I remember telling people, like. On the forum I was on at this point in time, and this is a humiliating thing to say, but thinking like I, you know, I want to watch as much wrestling as Alan Forrell. That guy sees everything and he loves it. And well, we just recorded a four-hour podcast with him, so mission accomplished. <laughs> Mike, I wanted I want to talk to you about the aforementioned Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi team. This is not in your notes. This is I told Mike before the show I was going to surprise him with something, and this is it. February 2nd, 2014, Hakata Star Lanes on a show that I don't believe aired because I have no recollection of anything on this show, not the Dragon Kid and Kness versus Yuti and Maria match, nor the Yoshino versus Susumu singles match, and especially not this main event of Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi defending the Twin Gate belts against Shima and T-Hawk. Seven years after the fact... What a fascinating matchup that is. Wow. Yeah,
2: that is insane to think about in retrospect. (laughs) I mean, four guys who are no longer with the company and having living four very distinctly (laughs) different lives at this point. Just insane to think about. And, I mean, this shows you the link between Shima and T-Hawk dates back even farther than
0: that, to be honest. But, yeah, no, that is insane. Wow. If you would like more information as to why that match is so insane, specifically the backstage politics of it all, the Freedom Fight 2010 episode, Mike and I went pretty in-depth on the Shingo Takagi versus Shima relationship, which kind of bleeds into Tozawa versus Shima, and by proxy... T-Hawk. So if you missed that episode, if you don't remember that, go back into the archives. We talked about plenty of backstage drama with Shingo and Shima. And I, I looked at that match because it was a Hakata show, so I, I thought it made tape, but I never saw it listed anywhere. I looked up the TV listings, didn't see it. I don't remember it, so I, I it's weird to think that a Twin Gate match in Hakata Lane's didn't make tape at this point, but I don't think it did. But it is a match that, my God, I would love to get my hands on.
2: Well, like, the, the thing about this was that at this time, the Corkins were on Ustream and the big shows were on Ustream, but not really anything else. And the TV was so delayed at the time that when people got these infinities, it was so far past the point that even with like the tape traders and the people that would upload from tape traders, I don't remember this match really getting spread around but now in retrospect i'm like all right i have to go back and see if this match happened because boy what a winding road those four men would lead seven years later
0: we go to our final Dragon gate show that we're going to talk about the february 6th cork and hall show that opened with genki horiguchi and jimmy kagatora defeating taka michinoku in ut mike do you remember why taka was on this show
2: well, I figure it's with Shima, because Shima made a personal goal when he was a young man to torment Taka Minchinoku. so Taka Minchinoku would show up occasionally. So that's why I guess, and I guess maybe, because since Shima was doing stuff with Millennials at that time, he was like, hey, Taka, go team with UT.
0: Yeah, that seems like a very fair assessment. I, I do not remember, and I when I was looking back through the archives, I didn't really... See maybe I glossed over it. I didn't really see why Taka showed up, but he was here. And then after that it's Fuji and Arai defeating Chihiro Tamunaga and Hoko Boy, a lumberjack match with Yosuke Santa Maria and Gamma. This is, I remember this one. Uh, I, I remember this one uh, very vividly. God I look. It's February of twenty fourteen is a rough time for Yosuke Santa Maria between this match and the two at USA appearances.
2: Yeah, yeah. This was just Really, kind of. Like, this This Korkin, to be quite honest, like, the top three matches are very strong, but everything else on it, it, it it's, a, it's a rough ride.
0: Yeah, that is that is one way of putting it. After that, it's Kotoko and Ryotsu Shimizu against KZ and Mandai Ryu. Kotoko and Shimizu. Rough ride. Yes, Kotoko and Shimizu win that match. And then things pick up a little bit from here with Kid Kness and Super Shisa defeating Akira Tozawa, Shingo Takagi, and Uha Nation. An awesome semi-main event with Ricochet and T-Hawk defeating Masaki Mochizuki and Masaru Yoshino. And then a main event, the Odu-style 8-man tag team elimination match with Mad Blanky of Hulk, Cyber Kong, Doi, and Yamato defeating the Jimmys of Jimmy Konda, Susumu, Naoki Tanazaki, and Rio Jimmy Saito. This would be Saito's last match until... October... Of 2014, like I said last week, he was originally booked on this weekend of shows. He gets hurt in this match and is gone for nearly the entire year.
2: Yeah, and then the Jimmys kind of lose it after he leaves. And I, I believe this was the first Combat Jimmys match. If yes, I'm right,
0: yes, it is the full body paint with the jumpsuits. It's awesome. It's an awesome look, and I really enjoyed. I mean it's funny to think you know they go on for another two years but there was real talk at this point that the jimmies could implode and that this would be the end of the unit
2: yeah and it would take until Rio Saito coming back and say listen you knuckleheads I, I I I came back to be in the jimmies and cause like the big thing was it was like Kakatora and Tanyan were fighting and it just turned out to just like this big mess where everyone was like they're having jimmy's versus jimmy's matches where one of them where one side would be in combat mode and the other side would be straight lace it just turned into like an absolute kind of like just a disaster and it was one of those things that this kind of really was the start of the mad Blanky versus jimmy's feud that would end up being with jimmy's defeating mad Blanky and ending the current heel lineage
0: yeah a very fun time period i look back with fond memories As I do, and maybe most people don't feel this way, but I look back at this portion of Ring of Honor as a very fun time, and we have to talk about Final Battle 2013, which took place on December 14th of 2013. The show opened. Mike, how about this as an opener with seven years of hindsight? Matt Hardy defeating Adam Page.
2: You know, the Wheel of Time works in interesting ways.
0: After that, it's a strap match where Silas Young defeats Mark Briscoe. The Young Bucks are on this show. They defeat Adrenaline Rush of ACH and Tadarius Thomas. A stretcher match is won by Kevin Steen over Mike Bennett. And then we get into the business end of the show. Red Dragon defeated Outlaw Inc. in a universally panned match where the crowd completely turned against it. And then, luckily, they picked back up because Tommaso Ciampa won the ROH TV title from Matt Taven. This was a four-minute match where Ciampa destroyed the Hoopla Hotties. He took out Truth Martini, and then he pinned Matt Taven. That was a really fun segment. And the show closes with two really strange matches. The semi-main is Eddie Edwards and BJ Whitmer defeating Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong. And your main event is Adam Cole retaining the Ring of Honor world title over jay briscoe and michael elgin in a three-way match mike do you have any recollection of this show
2: so i do remember the outlaw ink tag match because how bad it was and it was like it's a very interesting time because i i've talked about before like how much i loved red dragon like red dragon at this time was such a fun tag team and you like look up and down like this is like ring of honor right before things exploded like they did it well i believe they that this is when business really started turning around in the Hammerstein, but you like look at this and you're getting a lot of Truth Martini at this time. Adrenaline rush is still a thing, and it's just it's before the uh, it's before the decade because I remember very distinctly like we're about to get into the decade here, like the decade will come after the end of the series. But it's like an interesting time because like the titles in a odd place. And I believe Champa holds the TV title until Lethal wins, and then then Lethal's like March becoming a double champion.
0: Yeah, Chopple loses the belt shockingly fast. He actually loses the belt at WrestleMania weekend of this year. So he only has the title for really th- three months January, February, March and defends it a bunch of times. He has a defense over Silas Young at the anniversary show, which we're not going to talk about, even though it falls into our time period. He defended the belt against Hansen, which was a really fun match. That was kind of Hansen's coming out party in ROH, and then he lost the belt in New Orleans in a two out of three falls match. I think the decade actually forms at the television tapings in Nashville where Roddy hurts his neck, because I know they're a thing by New Orleans, and I know in my heart of hearts that the decade is one of the most mismanaged things in Ring of Honor history. That act could have been so much more. I mean, I remember,
2: like, how cool Adam Page's entrance video was for the decade.
0: Oh, God. I, like, look, I've got a document somewhere on my computer of 2014 Ring of Honor fantasy booking, <laughs> which is a shoot. That's 100% legitimate. It, I just, you know, Delirious has done an all right job, but if I would have had the pencil in 2014, things would have been better for Ring of Honor. The decade would have been a featured act, and the belt... Would have gone from Adam Cole to Michael Elgin to Tommaso Ciampa, who I saw Elgin and Ciampa have this ridiculous match in Ring of Honor in person in the summer of 2014, and I was like, oh, well, they're clearly building to Ciampa winning the belt at, if not final battle, a little bit before that, and instead, that kicked off a work-shoot angle where Ciampa threatened to, to quit Ring of Honor, and like Kevin Kelly got involved. And then I remember they had a match at Final Battle 2014 that was the first show they ran in Terminal 5. And it was so quiet in the building. It was the opposite of everything I had had envisioned. And that is really Ring of Honor in a nutshell this time period.
2: Yeah, it's just like an interesting time period, especially considering what would happen very soon after with Ring of Honor. Like Terminal 5, like things like this. And it's very like, like, because a lot of this thing, like, the series as we're getting towards the close has been the story of how the wrestling industry fundamentally changed between 2009, 2014. And one of the storylines is ring of honor, almost being shut down and then coming out of this time period bigger than they ever have been and ever will be. And it's kind of remarkable to talk about.
0: The reason I brought up Final Battle was not because of any of the matches on this show. It was actually because of a match that did not take place. Now, last week, we talked all about Davey Richards and how this was originally supposed to be the American Wolves' farewell. Well, that does not happen. And instead, I go to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter for an update on that situation where Dave says... There were some changes on the show that had to be done on the fly due to issues with getting Chris Hero to the building. Hero was scheduled to be the mystery partner of Eddie Edwards, facing Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong, and what was billed as Edwards' farewell with the promotion. Edwards is leaving on good terms, so if things don't work out with his WWE tryout, there is nothing blocking him from being brought back. Davey Richards, obviously, after being pulled from the show over the comments made in the Total Wrestling interview, would at this point not be welcome back. Richards, after the promotion canceled his booking, uh Richards after the promotion canceled his booking over the interview, worked on Combat Zone Wrestling's annual Cage of Death show that very night. Hero also worked the CZW show with the idea that he'd go on early and then be driven to New York where he'd be in the tag match and do an angle at the end of the show. He had arranged a ride with a friend, but the car he was going to drive in ended up stolen, which had his passport in it since the night after he was going to fly to Canada to wrestle Lance Storm. Hero was able to get transportation, but with blizzard conditions and black ice, he wasn't able to get to the building in time for his match, and instead B.J. Whitmer, who was there for a different angle, took his place. Hero did just get there in time to the show closing angle, apparently, because he brought the police report of the stolen car that it contained his passport. He was able to get on the flight to Canada and back uh, and was able to wrestle Storm. I had no memory of this Chris Hero stolen car situation. I want your no. thoughts on that. And then briefly, Dave also says there is some internal heat because ROH is planning on Cole versus Hero as its anniversary show main event. But PWG is doing that same match in California this coming week, meaning it will beat ROH to the punch on the DVD release. No PWG's DVDs were for sale at this show, which was a thing ROH was doing at the time. They had PWG live events at their merch table and on their website. So, Chris Hero stolen cart saga I have no memory of. And how about this heat between ROH and PWG?
2: Well, I mean, like, PWG has always had this very messy relationship with ring of honor yes right like dating back to when elgin would lose to uh uh trevor lee at ring of honor <sighs> during this as champions so, like this was always this really kind of sticky situation where pwg found its niche as the switzerland in the pro wrestling pro wrestling landscape because that's where WWE and ring of honor people could have matches. And I re- I remember this like being a thing. Like I remember this more so than hero getting his car stolen with his uh, passport in it. Like more so like I completely blanked by this, but yeah. And I mean, if you're someone who's never been to a wrestling show, cause I realized that that might be a case here. Uh, it's very common to have like other promotion stuff there that with high spots, like running that thing, like high spots is one of the major distributors of wrestling shows. So like cutting off high spots at this because of PWG is a very kind of sticky situation. I feel like that in a lot of ways maybe has like started off like a somewhat of a cold war between the two camps, especially over WrestleMania weekends.
0: Yes. Well, with that in mind, let us go to PWG because they ran their all-star weekend 10 weekend, uh, shortly after ROH final battle. And that show featured Brian cage, defeating Anthony Nice. Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan defeating the Rocknest Monsters. Drake Younger defeating Tommaso Ciampa. Johnny Gargano defeats Davey Richards, a battle of Gabe Sapolsky protégés. And then the card ends with the Best Friends over the Dojo Bros. Michael Elgin over ACH. Mount Rushmore of Kevin Steen and the Young Bucks defeating A.R. Fox, Rich Swan, and Ricochet. In your main event of night one, Adam Cole defeating Chris Hero. Mike, I will give you night two, and we could talk about this weekend in uh, as a whole, as night two featured the Rocknest Monsters defeating B-Boy and Willie Mack, Peter Avalon and Ray Rosas in a three-way tag, Tommaso Ciampa defeated Anthony Nice. the best friends of Chuck Taylor and Trent Barretta defeated Brian Cage and Michael Elgin in a tag match where I'm sure the losers were not happy about that. And then we went to Chris Hero defeating ACH, the Dojo Bros defeating AR Fox and Rich Swan, Ricochet defeating Davey Richards in another big battle of Gabe Sapolsky guys, a six-man tag with Candice, Drake, and Joey Ryan defeating the Mount Rushmore trio of Steen and the Young Bucks. And then finally, Night 2 All-Star Weekend 10 PWG World Title Match, PWG and Ring of Honor World Champion Adam Cole defeats Dragon Gate USA Open the Freedom Gate Champion Johnny Gargano.
2: So these two shows are really good. Yes. Like, exceptional shows. Like, Dojo Bros was a great tag team, but this was when Chuck and Trent finally learned that they have chemistry together. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of a funny thing about how they ended 2013 with one of the worst matches in DGUSA history, and then suddenly they become a great tag team. It's just something that, like, you had, like, this nice mix of people in pwg at this time and as i just said like three minutes ago this was switzerland and you see that up and down the show i mean eddie edwards and Roderick strong nominally roh going against chuck and trent nominally dg usa that's pretty notable and then i mean you look at that six-man tag on night one you have three ring of honor guys at this point versus three WWN guys so, it's interesting. I wonder how, like, it was, like, the soft politicking that might have gone on with these shows. Like, saying, like, hey, uh, so Chuck and Trent be the Dojo Bros. We're going to need uh, Mount Rushmore to defeat Air, Fox, Swan, and Ricochet. Like, I'm imagining, like, those kind of, like, how is this going to be balancing all of this with the pencil with Super Dragon at this time?
0: I don't know if anyone else cared but i remember thinking that it was a really big deal at the time that cole was wrestling gargano when they oh, were both was. champions yeah
2: i i mean even with the state of dg USA, i mean it still is a gabe S- sapolsky product and it was gabe sapolsky's champion versus ring of honor champion so like that was a big moment and, and, i mean big in context of this like this was like something that was like oh wow i remember the the chatter about this match
0: one more thing on the timeline before we get back to Dragon USA specific things, but on February 1st, 2014, we had National Pro Wrestling Day from the Palmer, C- Palmer Center in Easton, Pennsylvania. This show was not quite the same as the first incarnation of National Pro Wrestling Day. It did feature a Cole Cabana versus Drew Gulak two out of three falls match that I thought was a lot of fun. Also, Dasher Hatfield versus Eddie Kingston. And then the main event, which was what really mattered where the colony, the Osirian portal, and Icarus uh, defeated the Batari and Lowe's Ice Creams in a 10-man tag main event, and after the main event... It was announced that Chikara Pro would be returning on May 25th as there was a big brawl at ringside, and then the side door to the arena opened and revealed a DeLorean, with the idea being that they are going back in time or forward, like in Back to the Future as Dave says, 3.0 And Archibald Peck came out and were part of a big brawl that again ended with the announcement of the return of Chikara.
2: Yeah, I mean... This is uh, kind of the last big Chikara moment in a way for me. Because I remember watching the show. Like, I did watch the show because this was like a free stream at the time. Like they, Yes, that's they put- a,
0: yeah, that's right. It was. I completely forgot that it was a free stream. Sorry, go ahead. But that just brought back a memory.
2: Yeah, but like, you're like looking at this. And then, like, the big idea was at the time that there were all these mini promotions that this heel group was coming and shutting down. Like, one of the ones you had the BDK shut down, one of them you had the Gekido shut down. And then, like, they came out and brawled, and this whole entire time was, like, Icarus was supposed to be the baby face in this, which is wild. But but trying to bring back... Because, like, the big thing during this year off was that they made a really bad movie, like, talking about, like, Chakara and about how Icarus was trying to get the the gang back together. It's called The Ashes, and they did, like, a film premiere, and it was terrible. So... And it just, like, this is very much, like, bad Quackenbush stuff.
0: Yeah, the... DeLorean reveal is awesome, and then it is such a sharp, sharp turn downhill with everything Chikara-related from here on out, so... Yeah, they start killing people on the shows. <laughs> they start playing rock, paper, scissors, and musical chairs on the shows.
2: It's just, yeah, it... That will be probably the last time we're talking about Chikara
0: on this show. Not until the Aftermath episode, because yeah, they, yeah. they will premiere the new revamped Chikara on May 25th after Drangate USA has died. So Mike, let's talk about Drangate USA. Let's go to the news wire. January 29th, Gabe Sapolsky says CM Punk has been red hot in the news for the past 12 hours. In fact, and this is weird because Gabe, a lot of times would write first person, but here he went third person and says, in fact, Drangate USA and Evolve booker Gabe Sapolsky has already been flooded with requests for Punk to appear In the WWE live family, and then he notes that he has extensive history with Punk, mainly. Gabe says mainly in a lengthy run in FIP in 2004 and 2005 and then Gabe released this statement saying, CM Punk and I were close at one time but have not spoken in months there was no falling out or heat to my knowledge, it's just how things go with both of us leading very different lives now in other words, I have no inside tracker info, just a take on things. I have already received many messages with fans asking for Punk and Drangit USA and Evolve especially with the shows coming up in New Orleans on April 3rd, 4th and 5th as a part of the WN Live experience. However Knowing Punk, I would be shocked if he ever did an independent wrestling show again. There's probably a better chance of Triple H showing up at a (laughs) (laughs) non-WWE event. (laughs) <laughs> Punk has given himself 110% to the business over the last few years. His schedule amazed me because there was no way any human should have to endure it. He gave his heart, soul, and body to WWE and every wrestling fan. My take on all this is uh, to just leave Punk alone, let him recharge, refresh, and get his life back. He's mentally, he, his, he mentally and physically needs it. If and when he's ready to do something, I'm sure he will. Just leave him alone and let him be. Mike Spears, CM Punk walking out of WWE, I think seven years later, it's fucking awesome that he did it. I miss him in wrestling, and I think Gabe, you know, was right. Everybody should have just left him alone.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's cool he walked out. I think he's turned out to be one of the more cringe people that is possible, you know? Uh, it's just, like, Gabe, like when, he, like, when we were talking about the network, Gabe has a good pulse at times because he's extremely right about a lot of things and eerily, uh, right about some things in his future personally. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. And it's something that's kind of remarkable because of the way that punk kind of distanced himself from wrestling in general, up until really the, uh, Fox sports one show that he came back. And then of course there's the stories about him appearing at shows under a hood, which, you know, I heard it at the time, but I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. but, It just was like a really like shaking thing, and of course, this is happening right as they were gearing up for WrestleMania Thirty, like a big show, like the first show on the network, big show, (laughs) like the first WWE like main roster show on the network. I mean, yeah, Punk
0: never works on the network, which you know, good for him. It actually, I think, makes his career really easy to evaluate. And coming this fall on VoicesOfWrestling.com, I am going to be publishing an article on why I think CM Punk is a slam dunk Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, and how seven years later, I think his case has only grown. And it's a bummer from an aesthetic perspective that he did the Fox Sports show. It hurt me on like an emotional level when he had a falling out with Colt Cabana that really bummed me out. But... If Punk came back tomorrow, I would to AEW, not to the main roster WWE. That would suck. But if he comes back to AEW, I am fucking in on that. I miss CM Punk, and I, I just it sucks. To, I think wrestling is better with him than without him.
2: I just like. I would not vote for him for the Hall of Fame. I could talk about this now because it's not Hall of Fame season. I'm not going to get punched (laughs) in the neck by Aaron Bentley. Of which, because of Case, I am going to get punched in the neck next time I see it, and I'll be mining this for Patreon uh, subscriptions. So, yeah, it's something where like it's very weird like thinking back about that and someone who has such highs and lows, him being one of the worst mixed martial arts fighters of all time, and him coming back in, coming back in in such a deflating way, the way that things kinda of played out between him and the brain trust with AEW. It's something where like I can imagine the closure that doing that Fox Sports One show provided him, but I'm on the opposite side. I just don't care about him anymore. And I just, I find him very exhausting in a way.
0: I recently went back and I watched the interview he did at Starcast, which I think was right before All Outs, and it reminded me that he's a really charming guy that can be pretty funny at times and i i you know at the time i remember thinking like good i you know everything that's come out about his schedule the way he was treated by vince by creative everything afterwards more power to him i'm glad that he left i'm glad that he restored some sense of sanity to his life oh and, absolutely and you know i i was someone that I think over the past few years, ever since he got put on that ballot, I would have voted for him had I had a vote. But I started looking at some numbers recently. To me, it was like, oh, my God, like this guy's a, this guy's a no brainer. I can't believe he's falling in support when his case is only getting stronger. But, Mike, that's a conversation for another time.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, because we could really get into the weeds about this.
0: <laughs> we could. But instead, February 6th, Gabe Sapolsky announces that the loser Of the Shima versus Johnny Gargano match would face a member of the Premier Athlete brand in Brooklyn. We talked last week about how Shima and Rio Saito were booked on this show. So prior to Shima getting pulled, the announced card that we had was the winner of Shima and Gargano versus Roderick Strong, Ar Fox versus Chris Hero, Fire Ant versus Jigsaw, and the loser of Shima Gargano versus a member of the Premier Premier Athlete brand. And then once Shima got pulled, Gabe Sapolsky said this in the Dragon Gate USA Newswire... He said, We aren't going to announce more matches for this Sunday's Drangu USA Live Eye pay-per-view from Brooklyn, New York right now. This is due to the fact that we want to have some freedom to be spontaneous and put together the best possible matches based around the performances of those in the New Talent Initiative on Saturday. We can assure you that we will bring our A-game to Brooklyn and not hold anything back when it comes to putting together the best, most exciting matchups. What do you think about that, that statement from Gabe?
2: Well, I mean, you look at the cards and you see the people from the New Talent Initiative that got booked in different positions. And, you know, uh, Tim Daunts is still there. Uh, he, br- he brings in Jay Freddie and Blake Edwards-Balakis. But, like, the rest of like the idea of the New Talent Initiative really, like, providing people some, like, upward mobility, I mean— that didn't really happen until much later. Like Ethan Page and and Dragon Gate USA was such a non-factor that it really took until Johnny Gargano, like everyone started sponsoring people and then Johnny Gargano sponsored Ethan Page. Like it was a long time before he became a a figure from this point.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very very strange weekend and I'm ready to talk about it. Way of the Ronin 2014, I'm ready to get into it if you are.
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, club.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: Absolutely. So as I said at the top, this is seven years from today, seven years ago on February 23rd, 2014 from the Brooklyn Lyceum. And we open up with the first new talent initiative match. It is Tim Dauntz versus Caleb Conley. Caleb Conley wins with the O face in ten minutes and thirty-seven seconds. And boy, I you think that between like the last like three weeks that'd be useless venue case, but the venue looks even worse in HD.
0: It's so dark, Mike. It looks so bad on camera. And I they returned here in May for an Evolve show and it still looks pretty bad. It's not until Evolve 35 at the end of the year, which I think is the last show they run in that building, where it finally looks somewhat presentable, but it is so dark. I don't understand it.
2: It's just such a bad venue. Like, the one good thing that you said about the venue is that it gets loud in there. Like, they do a good job of making it get loud in there, but it's just, like, a garbage venue, and this match is just, like, fine, I guess. Like... Conley was a fun babyface. Tim Donst did not fit into DGUSA at all, and it didn't need to be this long.
0: I I will say this I see the value in Tim Donst at this point in time. What's hard for him, and it would have been incredibly difficult in Dragon Gate USA specifically if there were ever Gate guys around him. Donst had such a bad look at the time. He looked like a guy that just rolled out of bed and happened to be wearing wrestling gear that I think that was really going to hold him back in any sort of gay promotion. It would have hurt him in early gate USA. It hurt him now. Had he been brought back for the grapple fuck era of Evolve, it would have done him no favors there. It was just an increasingly noticeable issue throughout this weekend that Donst had a horrible look But was still someone that was very capable in the ring and had, you know, what I thought was a two and three quarter star opener. And the finish got messed up. That's where Donst really struggled from an in-ring perspective. That was his one blemish this weekend. And it's just, you know, it's so weird. We talked about this last week. Evolve 25, Gabe puts on this five match Evolve card where every match gets time. The show is two minutes long and everything is very good, if not great. And then he goes back to this super card formula where he's just got nobodies and squash matches that don't mean a thing. And I don't understand why.
2: Yeah. And I guess like my thing is, is that we were getting to the end of the line here, but I don't think Tim Dons would ever fit in DG USA. He would have not been a good member of the DUF. Like that's the only place you would slot him at. But honestly, for as much as I am not a fan of DUF, I wouldn't put him in the DUF. I think, I don't think he's good enough for the DUF and this match went on too long, had a mess up finish, and, you know, we had Bayface Conley, which was fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Caleb Conley does really good work here, and it's an interesting position for him to be in, one that we never really see throughout Dragon USA, where Conley's now the veteran in this match and is working with a clear edge over Donst, and I think he does that well.
2: Yep, and then we had our second new talent initiative match. It was Blake Edward Blackus, Defeating Jay Freddy with a inverted burning hammer in eight minutes and in twenty nine seconds, and I don't know. Okay, it's like I went three stars on this. I was two and a half on the opener, but uh, maybe it was because they kept this tight and they just threw bombs. But I ended up like liking this one a good deal more. Like to me, like this was like okay, this was fun. Like I like Jay Freddy. I've always when he would appear on Beyond shows on the uh, Beyond Uncharted Territory, I've liked him a lot. Blake Edward Blockus. This is my first time I ever saw him or I would, I remember seeing him after I watched the show back, but it's just kind of fine. I would say.
0: Blake Edward Balakas. It turns out he only worked, I think this show and then the two evolve shows in May. I don't think he returns after that, but in my mind, he worked so many more Evolve shows <laughs> because this man has a presence. I will say that. I put it together watching this match. You know who Blake Edward Balakas is? He is, if he was a Torium on X trainee, he would be Drew Galloway Seto.
2: Oh, yeah. No, he definitely has that vibe. A little bit of Jake something too, you know? Yes. Like they both look... And would this surprise you that Blake Edward Blackis is still wrestling? He has changed his name to Blake Steele. Take a guess where he's wrestled in, 20, in 2021.
0: Mm, that's tough because he's an East Coast guy. He seems like the type of guy that would have 0-1 USA written all over him, though.
2: Brother, let me tell you, he was a part of the 0-1 Tenkatsu <laughs> tournament 2020. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, but he has wrestled in 2021 for iwa mid-south
0: yeah iwa mid-south still runs weekly which you know i yeah it's what am i gonna do get mad at ian rodden like i'm glad the young guys get experience and i guess blake edward blacas falls into that the other thing that i think is worth noting mike are you aware that jay freddy is a former uwa world trios champion yeah because he was in zero one
2: uh wrestle one Russell 1 yeah sorry Russell 1 yeah because Russell 1 like had like a weird bout of just like a bunch of random gaijin and he was a part of that uh, Trisha Dora worked Russell 1 before it shut down too like yeah no he I, I thought it was 0-1 because I saw zero one one with Blake Edward Blackus but yeah no he's a former UWA World Trios champion good for him of the proud lineage of that title,
0: yes. He held the belts with Jiro and Kuma Arashi, so good for him. Unfortunately, Rake Trio, <laughs> Rake Trio, I love it, I love it. That owns that rules, yeah. They held the belts for two weeks, they lost it in their first offense. But as for the Dragon Gate USA Universe, first of all, I would have loved a UWA World Trios Championship match on this show, that would have been awesome. We did that not get that perfect. Um, I Blake Edward Balakis. Is so stiff and awkward. He doesn't look natural. The one thing that he can do really well is stand there and let Jay Freddy kind of bump off of him. And I thought they did that well, but I did not think this was a good match. I went two and a quarter on it.
2: That's fair. I, the, the fact that Jay Freddy was throwing bombs made me kind of for this. Uh, by the way, the title, the UWA World Trios title, is currently vacant at this time. Actually, the the first, they would come back in 2015 with the jacket team of Jiro Siki Yoshioka and Yasufumi. Uh, I'm always blank, blank on his name. Yasufumi Nakanue.
0: I wonder how much 80s and 90s footage of this title is out there because if you if you're unfamiliar with the UWA World Trios title, it was a belt that was in Mexico starting in 1984 through 95, and then it's vacant until Crazy Max brings it back from the dead in Toriumon in May of 2001, and it becomes the default, essentially open the Triangle Gate equivalent in Toriumon through the history of that promotion, and then after that, it stays in Japan, and has since become this insane indie trios title that has one of the most interesting lineages of any title I'm aware of.
2: Yeah, I mean, basically the only promotions it has not appeared in or has been, like, assumed by are New Japan, All Japan, Pro Wrestling Noah. The rest of the... DDT had it for a long time. Russell 1, as we mentioned, had it for a long time. It's currently in Big Japan. It just goes everywhere. And some of the trios that you'll have with this title... Oh, yeah, El Dorado had it. Shouts out to El Dorado. Yeah, that, this
0: title has huge El Dorado vibes.
2: I mean... You had El Ciceros Haponesis having a full year of champions because they won it in Mexico and they lost it at a Michinoku Pro event.
0: The Wrestle One lineage is especially insane. Listen to this team. They won this belt in December 2016. Jun Kasai, Nozawa Rongai, Shuji Kondo. Hell yeah.
2: <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> Uh, like honestly, that that is a good deep dive. Is just going through this because like the UWA thing, because like UWA was, I, uh, it's not AAA, but it was the number two promotion in Mexico. Well, CMLL was number was the other promotion, and like this title was mainly known as kind of because UWA became the trios promotion. So you had Los Brazos, you had most importantly you had Los Misioneros de Muerte having it. though Los Volanos, like it's a very like famous title belt and the fact that like it came to Triumon and became like this big Triumon title and then just goes everywhere like if you could think of someone in DDT Russell 1 or Big Japan odds are they might have had a title run of this including some people who just stopped by
0: I love it it's a fascinating title and that's just looking at it from the Japanese perspective let alone the fact that Fatu Great Kokina and Samoan Savage won this belt in Mexico in 1991 love the UWA World Trios title
2: the current champions, Billy King Kidd, Masamune, and Subasa.
0: I'll watch anything they do. That's an awesome trio.
2: Yeah. Uh, their team name, Viva Mexican Cabrones.
0: That's right. That's right. Yes. I, I, that VKF We've talked stuff, about them. Yeah, We've but, talked about that. <laughs> but you do this show long enough, you always come back to VKF. <laughs> so, uh, getting us somewhat
2: back on the rails, after the match, we had Larry Dallas come out again, trying to recruit for the scene. And it's just something like the look of these two into the scene, they would not be a part of the peak scene. And both of them walked out and Lenny Leonard made a joke about the Knicks.
0: Yeah. It's nothing against Larry Dallas, but this trying to recruit people to the scene thing was not over in the building. And it was not over with me. He is someone that really could have used some time away from the promotion at this point. And I, you know, it, it comes sooner rather than later, but the act felt stale at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we went into the last New Talent initiative match, and this is an interesting last this is an interesting match that we'll talk about because it is Yosuke San Maria defeating Ethan Page with the Nera Lucci in nine minutes and fifty-four seconds. And should we drop the big bomb about this match case right now? Just off the top? Go for it. This is the last ever match that will have a Dragon Gate wrestler in DG USA.
0: Hell of no a way to close the book you know it starts rough if you're looking at it in 2021 eyes first 2 minutes a little rocky once they get wrestling though you know it becomes it becomes a nice little match because Ethan Page who I've criticized publicly numerous times I think he's a dope I you know I think he's bad for locker rooms I don't want him anywhere near my wrestlers if I was booking at one point in 2014 was immensely talented and had been killing it in Cleveland for John Thorne, had been killing it in Chicago for AAW. He was an Elgin-affiliated guy who was about to break out with that Monster Mafia team. You know, that same Ring of Honor show... Then I talked about the Michael Elgin versus Tommaso Ciampa match earlier. That show opened with Ethan Gabriel Owens and Hashtag Walking Weapon against Jimmy Jacobs and Roderick Strong in a thrilling tag match. And that was, I think, the last time Monster Mafia worked Ring of Honor. It was a very short run. They did not like, I guess, the vibes they got from the promotion. But, you know, at this point, Ethan Page was a young guy with potential. I'm glad Gabe brought him in. It's just weird to think that he wrestled Yosuke Maria.
2: And I hated this match, like the, the the Ethan Page just doing like stuff that in 2014. As someone who was dialed into Dragon Gate, I would I hated it. And in 2021, I abhorred it. The one thing I'll say is the crowd loves Yosuke San Maria. Did somebody if brought there Maria
0: were... flowers. Did you see that?
2: Yes, yes. Yosuke San Maria would have had a place and future DG USA. Like, she would have rocked in this promotion, because the fans love her, and the fans get the act. It's just no one else seems to. And I feel like that, it, it's only. I will say that during the period of this match, there are some gears that kind of click on, and they're like, oh, wait, Yosuke is a face, and they finally kind of treat her like a face by the end of it.
0: Maria, as it pertains to the US Indies, came along just a little too soon, this act comes around in the Wrestle Circus era. Maria gets over like crazy.
2: I mean, and, and the thing about it is that as people who have watched Yosuke San Maria since the transformation from the former Super Shen Long 3, Yosuke Watnabe to Yosuke San Maria, like, the ring work out uh, is something that, like, yeah, like, the gimmick would have been over, but Yosuke San Maria would be probably one of the five best wrestlers on the U.S. indies right now.
0: Oh, God, Big Match Maria, Uh, completely. Absolutely. So, it's just,
2: and it's something that, like, it's, it it taints, like, my view of the show a lot, how, like, this whole match was. Like, I was one and a half stars on this. And in case, you know how hard it is for me to go below two stars on stuff? Like, in modern wrestling, it's very hard to have a bad, it's very hard to have, like, a match that's really bad, but it just, I thought that Ethan Page was terrible in this. I thought that... The uh, crowd helped it, and I thought that Maria was solid, but it just was something that, like, just the trappings of it in 2014 just did not work in 2014 for me, and it doesn't, especially, does not work in 2021 for me.
0: It's a really bad look for the promotion where no one, not Lenny, not Bryce, who's on commentary, not Caleb Conley, and not Ethan Page. Especially not Ethan Page. No one seems to have done their prep on Maria. They they come in completely unprepared, and it hurts the act as a result. And Maria, to her credit, more so this show than the prior one, gets over because of it. So more power to her. She ended up doing you know it was it was a rough match. I was at two and a quarter on it. So we're three matches in, and I have nothing over two and three quarters. But still, more power to Maria. I wish you would have come along a little bit later in the game for the US indie scene.
2: Yeah, and Maria got a Please Come Back chant at the end of it. So, the it, it I would have been interested to see if we got into Gabe Sapolsky's Book of Secrets CGUSA to see how Maria would have figured into the future. Because I have to imagine that like watching this match, if you're the booker, it would have to change your mindset on that.
0: Well, if you're listening to this show, I would recommend tuning in next week, Open the Ultimate Gate 2014, where we have some scoops with a Z as to potential Dragon Gate talent that could have been brought over to America, either in New Orleans or after New Orleans. Obviously nothing ever happens after New Orleans, but there were some plans that we we were were. were able to take a look at. News that was certainly not public. I don't know if anybody has ever heard this before. So keep keep that in mind for next week's episode.
2: Absolutely. And then we got into the grudge match based off of what happened in this building the last year jigsaw versus Fly, fire ant jigsaw won with a, with a small package in 13 minutes and 30 seconds and what was really the first good match on the show i would say
0: okay this match was fucking stupid and i loved every second of it yes yes it rocked they just tried to kill each other they did a beach break on the apron i like i would love to know if this is what gabe told them to do or if they said, fuck this, it's a Drangate USA show with one Drangate wrestler on the show. We're going out there. I, this was like a 2001 CZW Juniors match. The stuff they were doing was <laughs> Yes, this insane. is that. This is a 2000.
2: That is probably the perfect comp for this. It's a 2001 CZW match. They just completely tried to kill each other for 13
0: minutes. Because it's not. Like, it wasn't a very cohesive match. I think one of the things that Jigsaw's always been so good at is, you know, the, the big spots are nice, but I think Jigsaw, when he's on, when he's on top of his game, is a very complete wrestler who is able to to paint a really full picture. There's no transition in this match. It's torture rack bomb from the top rope from Jigsaw. It's a beach break on the apron from Fire Ant. It's, it's bizarre, and these guys... Like, they didn't feud in Shakara 2.0. They really almost never wrestle each other after this match. It's this weird standalone uh, Jigsaw turns on them at freedom fight. They wrestle here, and they wrestle in a tag match on Evolve 29. It's Jigsaw and Tim Donst against Fire Ant and Green Ant. And then after that... Just It's over. It's the weirdest little mini feud there's ever been that is highlighted completely by this batshit fucking crazy match.
2: Yeah, I I went three and three quarters because this is like the dumbest match. It is the dumbest match, but it's a dumb match that makes me very happy just because, like, they go for it and it's just... uh, If it would have kept Jigsaw in this promotion the entire time, like jigsaw is so good whenever he shows up here and fire ant uh kept up his end of the bargain and try to uh break uh jigsaw's neck so
0: a lot here to love I, I was when when fire ant hits the first beach break the one that's just in the ring which is already an insane move i thought that was going to be the finish and when it wasn't i was like oh man like i don't know this hasn't this hasn't been super cohesive at this point i kind of just would have liked to have ended it there and then, like I said, torture rack bomb from the top rope, beach break on the apron, just the, just, it was insane what they were doing. It's an effort three and a half stars if there's ever, if there's ever been, I really, really applaud what these guys did. I'm glad there was something dumb and fun on this show.
2: Absolutely. And then afterwards, we actually have microphones that work in this building on like last yeah, a time. Novel concept. Should- Crazy idea having decent production. They were part way there. The lights were still terrible. But uh, Jigsaw claims he's the best in the world and gets a CM Punk chant. And then we go into the next match. This is the Premier Athlete brand of Anthony Nice and Trent Beretta with Mr. A and Sue Young. Defeat Rich Swan and Shane Strickland in 19 minutes and 40, 14 seconds with a 450 splash from Nice onto Strickland. And the big point is that the Premier Athlete brand did it clean.
0: Two notes here off the top. One, Nice, Trent, Swan, established guys, Strickland, clearly a rung, if not two below them. This match had all the makings of a road to open the ultimate gate match, which I I enjoyed. It was, I, I could follow the booking behind this match. The other thing I want to say up top, four stars.
2: Yeah. I I I think this match was the best match that Shane Strickland has had in this promotion.
0: By it's not even close. I mean by leaps and bounds.
2: Yeah, like Strickland looks a lot better. He's able to piece it in there. But then again, the, the, it plays into he's someone that finally plays into uh, Trent and strengths. I would say, and he holds up his bargain on dives that he's had issues with. He does like this thing that I thought originally was looking pretty dumb because he was going towards the ropes, case. And then he does a he go he reaches over the top the top rope onto the apron and does a handspring into a rana to the floor which was insane. Now thinking about it, it's kind of convoluted, but really cool. But yeah, this felt like a the, the, this had the vibes of like old Dragon Gate USA in a way that was very bereft on this show.
0: That's exactly it. This is the kind of match that I think would have fit in around the time period of that first four way freestyle of. Shimon and ricochet versus speed muscle it's just a spotty match where you know i i don't i didn't get the impression that the crowd was super into it going in i i will say there's a moment where swan and beretta who had had the singles match in this building on the last set of dragon usa shows they have a pretty extended stare down here that the crowd gets into and from there the crowd is really into this match it's the for me. It's again the Rich Swan show. I think he is just brilliant in this match, selling his ass off the entire time. But I, you know, at this point, especially after the show we saw last week, I will take dumb matches like Jigsaw and Fire Ant, and I will take fun matches like this one. These were four guys that went out there. They did what they know how to do. They didn't get over ambitious, and it completely worked for me. Four stars. The the one thing I'll say. If they maybe
2: would have carved off like three minutes, I would have gone higher on this match. It, they could have tightened this up.
0: Yeah, it's weird if you really start to analyze this match because they got the heat on Rich Swan and then had Shane Strickland make a hot tag, which it's I just it's strange to me. I don't. I it was just weird that Strickland was the one that got the shine here, but uh, from a very macro level. Match was very fun. It's hard to nitpick this late into the, the dying days of Drang At USA about who should have gotten the hot tag and who should have sold more.
2: Right, right. And then afterwards, we had uh, Anthony Nice cut a promo about getting even and then being premier. He then promoted Mr. A, saying, Hey, last, last night, Mr. A had a challenge. And we saw that Mr. A is now the star. Then Sue Young announced that they'll be extending the brand and says that Rich Swan does not qualify. Rich Swann then grabs the mic and serenades Sue young talking about them getting together the previous night and that's how we went to intermission
0: what a way to go to intermission
2: coming back from intermission the bravados come out and they come out with a few jobbers there's a the young bucks champ Harlem bravado calls the last match not wrestling which you know kind of plays into like okay that was like a spot like the last few matches have been just just CZW 2001 core Uh, brings up his grandma the lawsuits and the tag rules and eventually brings out moose the front the offensive lineman for the bravado bandwagon and then it's moose versus earl cooter and xavier fate he defeats them very quickly with a squash with a spear
0: yeah so moose gets feed me more and goldberg chance in this match you know he looked fine he looked inoffensive he did what he was supposed to do I'm curious, Mike, from your perspective, were you at all bothered by the idea that the premier athlete brand as of this match is Sue Young, yes, but Anthony Nes Trimperetta and the big guy, the muscle in Mr. A. And now the bravados have this act, that is Lancelot Harlem, the, t- the tag team, with the muscle of moose. So was that at all too similar to you?:
2: You know, I did not think about that until you brought that up. Uh. I would have spaced it out more,
0: you know. It it seems like a little a little lazy to me. We're we're doing the same thing here. Tag team, heel tag team with a muscle. I got it.
2: And, and really, at this point, there is a lot of pretty lazy things that happen in this promotion. So it doesn't surprise me. But I told now that you bring that up, yeah, no, it comes off as lazy. Well, that, I, that's I just why like...
0: I liked the the prior tag match so much. Was again, there was an actual booking hierarchy that you could follow Shane Strickland was not on the level of the other three guys and it ended up playing into the finish of that match. That's why I got so much. uh, That's why I enjoyed that as much as I did.
2: Yeah. And this is just like a squash match. Like this could have been like a two, you know, like it very well could have been something like that. Like it was just like out there and it was really like a segment to really hype up the next match in a way.
0: And that next match certainly needed some hype.
2: Yeah. Then, because after the squash, Harlem Bravado brings up Orange Cassie, saying he has a concussion. That brought out, brought out uh, Chuck Taylor and Drew Gulak. Then it was the Bravado brothers versus the gentlemen's club of Chuck Taylor and Drew Gulak. The Bravado brothers won with a gentleman's agreement after a distraction from Moose onto Drew Gulak in 12 minutes and 17 seconds.
0: Oh, boy. Okay, well, this wasn't any good. The Bravado's luster... Has certainly gone. worn off. Yeah, it is It is not there. Believe it or not, tag teams are typically better when they're wrestling the Young Bucks. And with all due respect to two guys I like, not Chuck Taylor and Drew Gulak. I, it's a frustrating match because, again, I just think these, these tags have been so clunky. There's one moment that I liked where Gulak did a submission that I've never seen him do before or since, where he put one of the bravados in a sharpshooter, but then turned the sharpshooter into an ankle lock, and it looked deadly. I, I can't believe that's not like a regular thing he did, or at least I don't remember it being one, because I thought that looked great. But the real issue with this match is it's 11 and a half minutes of subpar tag team wrestling, and then the finish is set up to where Gulak has one of the bravados and an ankle lock, the referee is distracted by the other bravado on the floor, and Moose comes in, and I don't know who got set up in the wrong spot, but Gulag has to completely turn around and walk to the other side of the ring with this ankle lock so Moose can get in position to spear him. And it's just a sloppily done finish that really dragged this match down because then after that, Moose hits the spear then the Bravados get the pin. But getting to that spear was really, really clunky
2: and these two guys and these four guys had no chemistry no not not at all like really prolonged heat onto chuck taylor and chuck does a tope that i swear that lance lot did not catch whatsoever because you heard a thud so it is just really just nasty two stars it's just not good and it's something that like you see like an act that is working like the premier athlete brand and then you see the bravado brothers and that just kind of exist and Whatever heat and rub they got from the Young Bucks is completely gone at this point.
0: It's a bummer, because as we've gone through this series, stuff like the DUF, stuff like John Davis, that stuff, I think, has been better than people have given it credit for. I thought the Bravados were going to be a similar story after that Young Bucks match, but that has not turned out to be the case.
2: No, no. It's just... It it really does feel like, like... Maybe that Young Bucks match a case, okay, so are you familiar of with the term of a dead cat bounce? Uh no I am not. So it's a term often used in finance about like the last spike of a company or a business before it completely tanks. So maybe that match was like the dead cat bounce of the tacting division, you know?
0: That is sort of one way of putting it. I think that is a very accurate comp from what I gather. Yeah, no, it's something that like it, it it's something that's
2: used really more in in stocks. It's like a short-lived recovery of an asset before like from a pro, a prolonged decline that then it immediately goes back down. So, in a lot of ways and there might be people here to disagree with this, what happened with GameStop was a dead cat bounce.
0: I think the stock market is stupid and I cannot entertain people talking about it for long lengths of time. I'm glad you made that comp. It's well done. Good job by you. Stock market is a dumb topic that I don't like thinking about.
2: Yep, yep. I was just using it there because it worked there. No, no, got- it's not
0: a critique of you. I like what you said. <laughs> separate thought, different thought bubble. I think you're a weirdo if you pay attention to stocks.
2: Fair, very fair. I mean, it's the same thing like with like top with Topshop, you know. Like, that's the, the most bizarre thing I've heard over the last, like, six weeks. Is that like, the even NBA more so, thing? Yes.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand. I, the, I look, I, I really try to have a good grasp of digital content, and every once in a while, I am just throwing for a fucking loop. Well, like, it's it's all related to the blockchain
2: and that ridiculousness, and, like, you know the gif, uh, the Nyan Cat gif of, like, the... The, the rainbow colored cat that like flies through space very familiar this, okay i didn't know if that was before your time or not so like it, that's why it I went. was but i'm aware of it so there was an auction done because now they do digital art auctions and the person who like drew this gif did a new version like a high definition version that they did on the blockchain that this special GIF, because there's only one of those was sold for approximately six hundred and five thousand dollars
0: So Chris Hero versus AR Fox,
2: Mike. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to break your brain a little bit there. So yeah, we get into the Evolve Championship match. Chris Hero versus AR Fox. Chris Hero wins with a stretch plum in 21 minutes and 11 seconds. We have a title change. He is the second Evolve champion.
0: This is a really interesting period of Chris Hero's career because he's still at this point kind of has his NXT body, which means we're not quite at the point where he's bigger than everyone and can bully people around, but also his, I guess the way he made his bread and butter on the indies the first time around, that modernized world of sport grappling style seemed a little passe at this point. That kind of felt like an old routine, and and that kind of creeps up in this match. You know, I... Hero obviously became such a good wrestler in 2015 and 2016 and 2017 prior to getting re-signed that I think people forget when he returned to the scene, it was not smooth sailing at first. You know, he's got the Gargano match, Florida that evolved triple shot, uh, the ricochet match was solid, and that that was that was a high point for him in Ring of Honor. It's weird. He wrestles Adam Cole at the Anniversary Show. That match is just okay. He wrestles Adam Cole in Chicago Ridge in a 2 out of 3 Falls match that is long, but is good. And then his final match in Ring of Honor is an AJ Styles match in Dayton, Ohio on a house show that that people loved. I thought it was very good. People like it more than I do. And then Hero comes into this point in his career where now he's a full-time game guy who... Is working Evolve, he's working Beyond, he's working Noah, and he's working PWG primarily, and starts to have some health issues. If you look at his schedule, he'll kind of be three weeks on, and then he'll miss an extended period of time. And I think it was a back injury that he had, but this is right before the time where he really starts to put on the weight. And again, it ended up working out for him. He was, you know, he's Chris Hero, he was able to figure it out, but he, He just had a point in time where he wasn't really the most exciting wrestler. He wrestled Kyle O'Reilly on a PWG show in the summer of 2014. And it was, I think, a 40-minute match that felt every bit of 40 minutes. And I have no doubt that if that match would have taken place a year later, it would have been an epic. But Hero was kind of struggling to some extent when he came back to the Indies and... I don't think this match gets remembered because I will say right now, I thought it was a great match. I don't think this match gets remembered because it's much closer to Chris Hero 1.0 on the indies than it is to Chris Hero 2.0, where he was a little bit bigger, worked a little bit more of a bruising style. This was Fox jumping around and Hero catching him in cravats, basically. It's a fascinating ideology battle of Fox, who is the Evolve champion, but Hero who wrestled on two of the first three Evolve shows and kind of represents a style more akin to what Evolve was founded on. And I don't I don't really think that the match was designed to play into that ideology, but I certainly picked up on it as it was going along, and as a result, I thought it was a really, really intriguing match, and one that I ended up going four and a quarter on. I'm a little bit higher
2: than you on this. I'm four and a half.
0: I I can't I, knock you there. It's something
2: where it is like Chris Hero, it is like the the Chris Hero like coming back, and this is like the first match I would say, like leading towards that style where Chris is the most over person in this company by far. He comes in from the crowd wearing a baklava and rips it off and the crowd goes insane for it. And, you know, the the cravat style, like I watched all of that IWA Mid South stuff where he goes ninety minutes with CM Punk and the match stinks and everyone <laughs> big up it, but like let, let's call a spade a spade. We were now almost twenty years past that match. That match stunk. Well it was let me boring. Let,
0: let me interject real quick. The ninety minute match is not very good. The TLC match with Punk is awesome. And when COVID first started, I asked Chad Campbell, friend of the show, I said, Chad, send me 31 IWA Mid South matches. I'll watch one a day for the next month, and I did. And a lot of that stuff was like 2002, 2003, 2004. Chris Hero, and I was shocked at how well it held up.
2: Yeah, uh, Chris Hero's style is something that you could like show to other people. It's like this is a guy who thinks he's much smarter than you, and he's he's watched a lot more wrestling. And I hate like the idea about like the idea that he is kind of a. A meta wrestler, but he was a metal wrestler before that was a thing. Like, that was the idea there, but the 90 minute match was indulgent and shitty. It was bad. It was a bad match. I hate it. It's probably like one of my least favorite, well touted matches of the internet. I think it's garbage. Damn. It. It,
1: all
0: right. Not CM Punk not winning over Mike Spears at all in this episode.
2: I have never been like I appreciate CM Punk. I think he's done very important things. I just not. Uh, I've never been a CM Punk guy. I've that, never. That, that's been.
0: wild, just because of how big of a CM Punk guy I was, and admittedly still kind of am. I just it's it, like CM Punk
2: is an important figure, but I think that it the further we get away from him, the less relevant he ends up being. Very and interesting. I like that, and I feel like that his matches. With it, I think his best stuff, probably other than the Joe series, was the match with Cena at, at uh, Money in the Bank, and I, and after that, I was like, okay, a lot of his stuff is just not for me. It's just not for me.
0: This is. We'll get back to Hero versus Fox in a second. While you still have access to the WWE network before it migrates over to Peacock, do yourself a favor if you're listening to the show. Go watch the Raw pile driver match which I think, I hate that I think I know this off the top of my head, I think it's February 25th, 2013. It's Cena and Punk on Raw. That crowd is unbelievable. I rewatched that match a few weeks ago. It's how I got started on the CM Punk kick. Just, I mean, forget modern WWE. There's like peak NXT stuff where I think that crowd is more invested in the Punk-Cena match than it is you know Banks versus Bailey from NXT Brooklyn that raw match is an all-time all-time great match and it happens on free TV it's awesome I also happen to really like Hero versus Fox which took place live on iPay-Per-View on the WWE Live Network Mike
2: Yes it did it it did and like getting back to the match I I thought it was like really interesting because Fox was such a raw wrestler starting in the promotion like you could obviously see how he was but this might be the most complete match he has and a lot of it is going through like chris hero's cravats and the grappling that felt like actually pretty held up and it's just like this was a very smart match in a way that like the the moments that when when fox finally goes on offense and he finally has this big shine stretch he comes off like oh yeah no this guy is evolve wrestling this guy was the first champion for a reason he Air Fox was one of the best wrestlers in the world at the time. He still is an incredible wrestler right now. But you're like, okay, no, this rules. And then you had the Ricola Bomb, the shout-out there. And the crowd goes insane for the Ricola Bomb. Of course, you're playing to a crowd that would know that move, of course. And just, like, the finish was fantastic. Like, the him kicking out the Cyclone Kill... And the Ripcord Elbow. And then finally, Hero really putting on a really brutal version of the Stretch plum.
0: Looked awful. Like, awfully painful, I should say.
2: Yeah, awfully painful. It just was incredible. And this was like, I'll be interested in seeing how next weekend holds up. Because I don't think there's anything on the next two shows that will hold, that will be four and a half stars for me.
0: I know my initial rating when I watched it for the first time of one of the matches in new Orleans was four and three quarters. So I'm very curious to see if that holds up the one other point I'll make about this match. You were completely right in the fact that AR Fox is such a well-rounded wrestler at this point and someone that can legitimately do a lot of things and do them. Well, I love that he's improved as much as he has and he still does the shooting star press cannonball in the corner, which in this match he misses, which means he is literally jumping straight onto his neck.
2: It's insane. Like, Air Fox never changes. <laughs> like, the one constant that I'm reminded in this is, like, no, the fact that Air Fox is st- still wrestling some, like, of course, during COVID, he's not wrestling as much. The fact that Air Fox, like, had the match against Two Cold Scorpion and was doing the exact same things at for the culture at The Collective... Is like such a remarkable thing about the human condition, you know.
0: I love him. I I watched him in AAW for two years. He was their heritage champion in every single show. Three and a half stars. And our AR Fox, really fun match. It was he's awesome. He's a really, really delightful wrestler, and I wish he would have one more big run in some notable place so he could kind of get the credit that I think he deserves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So after the match,
2: the, the crowd's going insane. Fox and Hero embrace. Like, it, it's legitimately a legitimately very touching moment. And then, while watching this match, I made a point of it, and I didn't bring it up because I want to talk about the match first. Trent is watching from the balcony the entire time. He picks up a microphone and he tells him, Well, you know, congratulations, but uh, Claudio is main eventing in WWE right now at the Elimination Chamber tonight. And all you had to do was eat a salad. And the crowd just goes nuclear heat for Trent. Trent then challenges him for New Orleans. And before we get an answer, Anthony Denise attacks Hero. And then Fox comes in for the save. But then the thing that was, that was briefly alluded to happens. As the Premier Athlete brand has expanded as Caleb Conley attacks Chris Hero. And then Conley, after that, we have Mr. A badly Fucking up a splash, like one of the worst ones there. Terrible camera work there. And then Anthony Nice, 450s hero, and the premier athlete brand celebrates.
0: So there's a few different ways to break this down. I think the Trent. It's a lot. It's a lot. The Trent promo, for as corny as it might sound, with him taking the shot at Hero's weight and, oh, Claudio's main eventing, very well delivered. The crowd was into it. I think that's a win. The initial attack with Niece and Mr. A and Sue Young, they're, they're beating down Hero, and then Fox makes a save, and then Caleb Conley comes out. I have an issue with the Conley turn. I don't feel like it was built up properly at all. No. I, I, and I I rewatched Evolve 25 over this past week and have read enough about Evolve 26 and 27 to know that they didn't tease it on those shows. It's a very random turn. The positive to that is Conley turns by booting AR Fox in the face and it is an awesome boot that he throws. It looks tremendous. So he gets over there, but then like Mike said, they want to do they want to have Mr. A do the splash on AR Fox. Mr. A goes to the top rope and can't balance himself, and trips on the top rope, falls over whatever it is, misses the splash. It's terrible. It's embarrassing. It looks bad. And for as fun as the Premier Athlete brand was when they first debuted, and they were awesome, this is a blemish that is really hard to look past.
2: Yeah, it kind of kills it in a lot of ways, in my opinion. I think it's it's something where... There is the moment there, but Conley, it's such an abrupt turn because he's playing babyface for pretty much ever since the scene broke up, and he's finally coming starting to come along as a babyface and over as a babyface, and then just abruptly, without any reference whatsoever, turns and joins the Premier Athlete brand. And then you have the sad bots there. Like everything up until the turn is pretty effective. And even the end where everyone's standing tall and the premier athlete brand now has new things in their targets. Pretty effective. It's just that last half of it cut off what could have been a really hot angle, I feel like.
0: Yeah, it's this is the end of Mr. A having any sort of credibility because, uh, you know, again, when this act was a th- was was debuting, I really bought into him as this unstoppable monster. And I thought Sue Young was great in her role. And we've talked about how much niece has impressed us over the last year of this project. And this is, I mean, this kills it dead. And I think had Conley, Trent, and Nice gotten the chance to tour Drangate, I think they would have killed it from an in-ring perspective. I have no issues with this group, but as an act, it is now past the point of no return.
2: Yeah, it's dead. It's absolutely dead. But how about a Freedom Gate title match, Case? How about it? So open the Freedom Gate title match. Johnny Gargano defeats Roderick Strong with the Gargano escape. And I I have a lot of issues with this match. Like, the match is fine, but what happens around the match really bugs me. Okay, so what what were your thoughts about this match before we get into that?
0: In ring, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I also have it at four and a quarter, so the show ends for me with two four and a quarter star matches. It's everything you would think Johnny Gargano versus Roderick Strong would be. It's an athletic, hard-hitting american indie style of match where strong is making his debut in the promotion he's a fighting babyface, and he really pushes gargano to his limit knowing what's to come knowing the end of gargano's reign i think this is the perfect final defense for johnny gargano to have it's something where i felt like that the match the
2: mat work was fine But what happened around the match just completely took me out of it, both from a production side and just felt really staged and artificial to me. And it's hard for me to differentiate that between the the ring work that happened because it becomes so, like, overriding in a way. And what I'm referring to is partway through, uh, Rich Swan comes out and basically beckons the crowd to stand around the ring like it's beyond and starts pounding the mat they cannot use the hard cam at all at this point because the crowd is standing up and the hard cam is not elevated enough so they can't shoot over them. So they have just the camera in the corner and the camera and the uh, on the floor and their white balance and their contrast are completely different and you can't get like a good vantage point for the rest of it. And it just feels really fake to me. And it, it brings down the match to me. I was three and three quarters on it. I feel like you're absolutely right about the ring work side but this trappings they put it in felt so artificial. And it just really brought it down to my eyes.
0: So, well, first of all, it's very funny that you said they crowd around the ring like they do it beyond when I would have gone for PWG or WXW as the comp there. But yes, you're right, beyond. Uh, I knew the crowd kind of swarmed the ring like this. I had no memory of Rich Swan coming from the back to cheer on Roderick Strong to lead the crowd in doing this. That was shocking to me. I didn't see it coming, and I I didn't like it. I, I think we're on the same page there. Once the crowd is there, though, I am not bothered by the production things you were. Now, obviously, you know, white balance stuff is inexcusable. That stuff should be taken care of, but... I actually think it kind of played to their advantage because this is everything that Gabe had promoted the Brooklyn Lyceum as being. It was now the true fight club atmosphere and specifically and I I guess I maybe it's just a a style or a preference but they put the guy that was filming on the floor. They put him on the apron at that point, and I really liked the footage from that camera where he's standing on the apron. And it's not—it's not a shaky cam, but it, there's definitely some rawness and some rigidness to the shots that he was that he was filming because Gargano and Strong are running around the ring and they're hitting each other really hard. And I really liked the angles from his vantage point. I actually think it added to the match because this was everything that we always heard this building was supposed to be and I think it's the only time that this atmosphere was captured in this building. There's an evolved uh, tag team title match at Evolve 35 where they do a crazy brawl and AR Fox ends up doing a swanton bomb off of the balcony to the floor and that is very cool. The crowd is very into that but that's a That could have been done at any venue with a balcony. I think the overall landscape, everything that happens in this match, makes this match feel special. I really wish it would have happened organically. I'm annoyed that Rich Swan kind of led this charge. But the end result was so good that I really don't mind. I I completely understand. I
2: completely understand that. Uh, It's just something that for me it just immediately took me out of it, in a way.
0: And yeah, it's, it was and... it was jarring seeing Swan come out. Like I said, I had no memory of him doing that, and so when he did it, it took me a second to accept it for what it was, because I was also very turned off by it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it did play into the... Uh angle at the end that I thought actually kind of worked for it but at that point i was already so soured on it that it was hard for me to reengage. at that point i was like all right let's get this over with and it's something where like the match itself like like strong busts uh, uh gargano's chest open at the chops like it really is like oh gargano's going through the meat grinder here and especially like the idea of like he escaped this match going into his final title match and when he's losing the title, which I I don't feel bad about spoiling this, everyone knows that. But it's it just takes me out so much. And it's it's a me thing, I'll say. And it's to an the trackment because it it went from like I would have been around four and a quarter stars as well, and it knocked it down to three and three quarters for me. It was like that like thing of this and again it's a me thing, I would say.
0: Very interesting, I I think that point is fair I really can't knock anybody for being turned off by the swan thing I wish it wouldn't have happened But the end result was so strong that I, I'm i okay with it
2: Yeah, like, if this happened organically, I thought that would be amazing Like, but, at the end, it wasn't <sighs> Anyways it, it, It's something, because, like, Strong felt like such, like, an outside act Like, you're bringing in, like, an outside, like, gun to take the title and that's such a cool idea with how Gargano has been a heel champion for the last year. You know, like it has such a smart idea here and it's a good thing that this is one of the things that did not fall through on the weekend because it was like it was like as we said like as checked out as Gabe feels, he is not checked out at all with Johnny Gargano and like the idea here and the setup here is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's a really strong way to close out Gargano's successful title defenses. I think if you watch this match in a vacuum, unaware of what comes next, you could totally buy into the idea that Strong would win this match. It's fun stuff. It's uh, there's there's a lot going on here. I think that's really the way that you can describe this show is. In almost every match, there's just a lot going on, but especially compared to the week before, a lot of good stuff on this show.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I. It's still a very long show. It's three hours and 30 minutes. We include the intermission. So Gabe's still going very long. But I'll say like this. Maybe it is that he's getting more energized as they're approaching in New Orleans. Like WrestleMania weekend, he obviously had a lot of stuff planned there. And and obviously had this storyline booked out for for New Orleans. And he's had this thing booked out for the last year that you could tell like he's getting some juicier Versus the last time where it's just dire. It's just dire and sad.
0: Well, Mike. And what we need... Go ahead, go ahead. Go
2: ahead. There is the uh, post match angle, which was really, which is what I really liked about the ring, where Gargano tells the crowd to shut up and makes an elimination chamber reference. He just berates the crowd, just really goes off there. Then Swan stands up on the apron awkwardly and eventually grabs the microphone. He then makes a pretty distasteful Michael Jackson reference. Then he tells me to gather the crowd so Johnny couldn't run. He tells Gargano that him, Shima, and Ricochet will kick his ass in New Orleans over the next time that. DGUSA and WNB running. And at the end of this, it was very clear that the, that now Gargano had nowhere to escape, but he gets out of the crowd. And then, then finally the mic dies, but then Swan finally does the DGUSA go home and that's it for the show. So a really strong note, I felt like how to end the show saying like, okay, you got through this, but you're getting the one guy that you've been trying to get his uh, affirmation the entire time you were here, your biggest rival, and then your friend you turned on. Up ahead of you, Johnny Gargano, good luck.
0: And then there were two, Mike. Next week, open the Ultimate Gate 2014, April 4th, 2014, from the McAllister Auditorium in New Orleans, Louisiana. We will not be talking about the dark match of Jay Spade and Purple Haze versus Danny Flamingo and Ricky Starks but that did happen on the show. <laughs> but we will instead be talking about the main card, the Open the United Gate title match with the Bravados against Anthony Neese nice and Caleb Conley, a singles match with Mr. A and A.R. Fox, Biff Busick versus Rich Swan, Fire Ant and Green Ant of the Colony versus the Gentleman's Club of Chuck Taylor and Drew Gulak, Low Key versus Trent Barreta chris hero versus masato tanaka and an open the freedom gate title match johnny gargano defends his belt against the man they call ricochet
2: big show the kind of an infamous show in a lot of ways well really the next show is more infamous than that but we're, we're approaching the end of your case
0: this is it's, it there's we are at the last weekend of Dragon Gate usa
2: yeah It's kind of wild now sitting here stewing about that for a second, but that's it. Uh, They will never return to New York City. They will not be leaving New Orleans as a company. We are approaching the last two shows of Dragon Gate USA. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we got out of here?
0: No, sir. Next week, Dragon Gate Japan, how it pertains to Dragon Gate USA. Some scoops with a Z about possible Japanese talent that could have been on these shows. And then open the Ultimate Gate. We will close it out with Mercury Rising 2014, the Evolve show that happened this weekend, the Wrestling Odyssey show that happened this weekend, and what else was going on in the US indie scene at the time. And then Mike and I will be back for at least one, if not more, aftermath of Dragon Geek USA episodes.
2: Yeah, we're at least going to have one. We're trying to put some stuff together for something special for another one. We will, if it comes together, we'll definitely be doing that. But yeah, we have come towards the end of the road here. So there are only two more Dragon Gate USA events after this. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can follow me at Fujihea. And you can follow Case at underscore in your case. For Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next time as we start the final weekend of Dragon Gate USA's existence. Take care.